0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Episode 7 of Positions Net. I'm your host, Grant Peters, the founder of Auto Racing Analytics. Joining me again today, my co-host, Ben Amato, a mechanical engineering student and legends car driver from the Northeast. Ben, there's no shortage of things to talk about this week, um, but I actually want to start with something that happened before we even got to the track. What is your opinion on what went down with all the penalties to the chevy cars there were five of them we kind of already touched on our expectations for Hendrick Motorsports but I don't think either of us saw anything coming to colleague racing's 31 car
1: yeah that one's that one's really weird especially when you consider that it was only one louver that they found that was out of spec basically um to me the the harshness of that penalty is a little bit ridiculous like if I'm being totally honest the, like the size of the hit that was to the 31 team um, for one louver out of spec, when we know that the um, the manufacturers of the parts have kind of been inconsistent with the tolerances they they hold. I don't know exactly what it is that because NASCAR I don't think ever specified exactly what the modification they think they saw was, um, but to me it just it seems a little ridiculous. Uh, I don't. Uh, from a performance perspective, I have no idea why you would just modify a single louver unless one of them was just so grossly out of tolerance um, that they just had to make a change to it. I know Czech and House talked about like you know just, just trying to make sure that the the hood could close and stuff like that. Like I don't know. Uh, I I get the frustration from the team's end. Because if you have no control over this manufacturing process and the tolerances that these teams hold for performance is insane. Like we're talking about to the thousandth of an inch here. Like it's incredibly tight tolerances they're holding manufacturing these parts. So it's definitely frustrating when the single source suppliers aren't holding those same tolerances and are taking the parts out of their performance windows. But with the colleague situation, it just, to me... To only have one louver modified that just that kind of suggests to me that either there was a legitimate issue in terms of like trying to get the hood to shut or that they literally didn't modify the part at all, and they got it that far out of spec that That's what it suggests to me,
0: yeah, it just it's not a good situation at all. Uh, I don't understand why we see such an issue with the teams modifying the louvers to begin with. I understand it's a single source part. And I think that, uh, I think that there's probably some issues with them that the teams are fair in having a gripe with that being said, if the teams are simply making minor adjustments to make them fit, I don't understand why we're penalizing a hundred points for that. I don't understand why colleague racing it, like I, i'm sorry there's no way that they modified just one louver on one of their two cars to try and gain and that doesn't make any sense to me mm. um a hundred points is also absolutely killer to college racing because if you look last season justin haley finished 22nd in points scoring a grand total of 699 points um so you mean to tell me you just took away one-seventh of this team's points a year ago? That's like, what, 14%-ish? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's killer. You you add 100 points to Justin Haley's total from a year ago, and suddenly he is, as far as guys that missed the playoffs, behind only Eric Jones, Martin Trex Jr., So he would have finished 19th in points if you give him another 100 points, up from 22nd. You drop him 100 points from 22nd, and he goes down to 25th. You look at the uh, standings right after the playoffs started, at just the regular season point standings, the difference between 11th and 20th is 100 points. This 100 points could very easily be what takes Justin Haley entirely out of playoff contention And that's a lot of money. Like this team's being fined, what, $100,000? That's going to be nothing in comparison to the amount of money they're going to lose in the end of the year points fund.
1: Yeah, it's just, it seems a little ridiculous. I know that there was some sort of process for this. Like, right, NASCAR was aware of the issues with the parts. And it seemed like there was some sort of like back and forth channel between the teams and the, uh, the organization. Um about what they could and couldn't do to deal with the fact that a lot of these parts were coming in out of tolerance. I'm sure on NASCAR's end, their argument is that, Oh, well, you know, Hendrick and colleague, they made these modifications and they didn't communicate it to us. um, So, you know, we have an issue with it. It's just like you were saying, when you're having, when you're forcing teams to run parts that they have no input in manufacturing, you have to make sure that the company in charge of manufacturing those parts are manufacturing them exactly to the tolerances that were agreed upon at the beginning of the season, and the fact that that's not happening i really I have a lot of sympathy for really for Hendrick and for Colleg, especially for colleague though, because of you know the circumstances we just outlined but yeah it's it's pretty ridiculous um for these teams to be penalized like that when they're just dealing with parts that just aren't coming to them the way they should?
0: I don't understand. Like, I feel like the, 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 the penalty to Hendrick Motorsports, $100,000 and 100 points per car, isn't outlandish. Like, it makes... The penalty makes sense. I like it that they're being consistent. I like it that they're not caring how egregious the crime was they're just you broke the rule this is the penalty. I like it. I like to see NASCAR be consistent about something because this is something they've had a problem with in the past. Uh that being said, a hundred point penalty to Hendrick is very different than a hundred point penalty to colleague. Like Hendrick's going to make the playoffs anyway. So where they're going to wind up in the end of the year point fund, like I mean for sure the nine, the five and the 24 are all going to be in the playoffs, regardless mm. of this penalty. And so, especially now with the top 30 rule gone, I think Chase would have made it anyway. But the 48's probably going to make it as well. Even if he doesn't, we're talking about those three cars. They're all going into the top 16, and then they just advance up the standings through advancing through the rounds, and all of a sudden it's like this never happened. Like, Mm -hmm. they're going to be at a disadvantage because they'll be down some playoff points, a pretty significant amount, and that's going to hurt them a lot but they're still going to be up there near the top. And with the way this charter system works, you have to finish good year after year after year for your charter to be worth more money for you to get paid more. So this hundred point penalty is going to wind up hurting colleague racing for like three years. I just don't understand how that's fitting to the prime, especially for that team.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I do like that NASCAR is being consistent with their penalty Um, and I do want NASCAR to be consistent with their penalties, but it's just, my issue is that if you're not, if they're not going to make sure these teams are getting parts that fit the tolerances they agreed to, then it's kind of hard for me to fault the teams for wanting to at least bring the part to within the agreed upon tolerance. That's, that's my whole issue with it. You know, it'd be one thing if NASCAR kind of came out and said, Oh, yeah, Hendrick's trying to say that they modified this part to try to fit the agreed dimensions. But in reality, they actually modified the part beyond that and it was giving them a performance advantage in this area. If NASCAR came out and said that, I would be more on board with it, right? Because then Hendrick can't raise their hands and be like, hey, we're just trying to get these parts back into the window that they're supposed to be in because NASCAR is not doing anything about it. You know, if NASCAR specifically comes out and says, nope, that's not what they were doing, this all kind of goes away, in my opinion, right? And so that, that's, just, that's my whole issue with it is that, like I said, if you're going to force teams to run spec parts, you have to make sure those spec parts are coming in the same because if they don't and if they come in out of tolerance for Hendrick, now Hendrick is going to be at a performance disadvantage and they didn't do anything wrong, you know? They couldn't even have a say in it because it's a spec part and it just came to them out of tolerance. So that's my whole issue with it. I think
0: the Hendrick Motorsports one looks super suspicious because they collected all eight louvers. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I don't see any way that colleague racing modified one louver. That doesn't make yeah. sense, especially for a poor performance advantage. Maybe they had to do something funky to it to make it fit in the car, mm-hmm. but I, I don't see it being something they were trying to cheat the system with. I don't know the de- none of us know the details of the Hendrick Motorsports ones, but mm-hmm. that one looks like it could at least be something. That being said, I don't buy it being a massive performance advantage, um, because it's a louver, and nothing crazy happened when they had them stolen from them in Phoenix. So, I don't yeah, know.
1: no, it's- yeah, I mean, it's definitely like we said last week. It wasn't the reason for their speed. Uh, we saw that at Phoenix, obviously. It's not gonna make a huge difference, obviously, you know you're looking for every little advantage you can um and I think part of you know talking about oh, why colleague maybe would have modified only one um part of that could just be that like different teams hold their tolerances to different standards. You know what I mean, so for colleague, maybe they got their louvers, and you know three of the four were within their tolerance whatever that is you know maybe it's not to the thousandth of an inch maybe it's you know a little bit more reasonable um you know maybe it's like a hundred this is just i'm just throwing out numbers This is not um you know based on anything right but that could be an explanation whereas you know hendrick being like a top tier organization if they hold their tolerances to maybe a more strict standard so maybe they hold everything to like the thousandth of an inch where colleagues holding everything to the hundredth of an inch that could be an explanation of why, oh, colleague only modified one. Cause there was only one that was that far out of tolerance versus for Hendrick. It's like, okay, well we hold this tighter standard and all four of these don't fit the standard that we held, you know, in our CAD models or whatever, when the manufacturers were submitting their body designs, that could be the case. Um, obviously it could also just be that Hendrick was trying to find a performance advantage. Like you said, we don't really know, but, um, that's just kind of my speculation on it.
0: I think it'll be interesting to see what the appeals panel has to say about this. And uh, I don't remember, did colleague agree? I know Hendrick is appealing it and I know they're trying to use kind of the same route that, uh, that Roush used a year ago to get out of their first penalty. Um, Is
1: colleague appealing or not? I don't remember. Yeah. I also can't remember i don't remember specifically seeing anything about them appealing but i'm not entirely sure
0: um polygracing is also appealing their penalty okay just wanted to check and make sure before i said that but at least in the hands of colleague i really hope that they get that overturned because that just seems outrageous to them hendrick motorsports um I just hope that they figure out if they really cheated or not. And if they didn't cheat, give them their points back. If not, I stand by the 100 point penalty. You know, like it, I like NASCAR being consistent. Um, but I don't think that colleague one is consistent in my personal opinion. Um, okay. That's enough talk on penalties. Let's get to this Atlanta race, even though it was really kind of a two different Atlanta races. There was the first one and the second one. Um, and the only thing that separated them was just kind of a random break point in the middle of the race. Uh, Ben, what was your opinions on that race?
1: Yeah. So I feel like a lot of people maybe aren't going to agree with this take, but for me, uh, specifically stage three, that's what I would want this style, you know, plate racing, whatever you want to call it, super speedway racing. That's what I would want it to look like. So, you know, you have the Atlanta track, you know, the, already they have the the asphalt starting to wear out a little bit. Um, And on top of it, just, you know, not being as big a track as Daytona and Talladega, you know, you have handling come into play. It's not just as simple as just holding it flat and, you know, playing with the air, playing with the runs. You actually have to, you know, really drive those cars to an extent um, around that track, which I like, you know, it it reminds me of like, I remember rewatching the 2010 Daytona 500 not too long ago and, I remember you could really see like those cars would actually get out of shape, um, you know, because that surface was a little bit more worn out. And that's kind of what I feel like we saw at Atlanta, which I I appreciate that. And that's obviously the reason why in the first couple stages, we pretty much just saw single file uh, train racing um, just because the cars were a little bit more on edge and nobody wants to wreck out in the first stage because they were trying to make a big move way too early or something like that. So obviously, you know, it's not super exciting to watch them run around uh, the top single file for a long period of time. I get that. Uh, I don't particularly enjoy that either, which is kind of part of why I don't enjoy super speedway racing in general. But for me, if we're going to have it, I would want it to look like how it did at Atlanta. Um, You know, it was interesting. There was interesting strategy throughout the race. Um, like I said, handling really came into play, which to me just adds another layer to the race and makes it a little bit less of like a, a crap shoot, so to speak. Um, so yeah, that, that's how I felt about it. Um, but I don't know. What'd you think?
0: I also quite enjoyed stage three of that race. And here's the difference between you and I, Ben is I love restrictor play racing. I think it is it's it's one of the things that makes nascar special and unique from everybody else. I think it takes a very specific skill set and it's something different. It's exciting, it's fun. Um that being said, it's not perfect and I think everybody's willing to admit that. Neither is this package. I think the last part of that race looked really good especially at the front. I love the way they race at the front because mm-hmm. it is it takes a driver like you have to wheel the car and there's a lot of skill involved in racing for a win at the front of the field the plate race like you have to understand the air you have to understand how to make the moves you have to block and then you have to still like handling is also still in factor um and i love that that was great that being said uh back in the pack you're just kind of stranded you're kind of stuck and i'm not a fan of that Mm -hmm. so I did, I did enjoy that quite a lot, particularly the battle between Logano and Keslowski. I think everybody was loving that, um, and then Corey LeJoy got up in the mix and played with my heartstrings and made me think he was going to win for a minute. So, of course, I loved that as well. Um, it was, it was a good end of the race. However, I think it could benefit from a lower drag package. I don't know about your opinion. But I'd like to see these guys be able to get a good run and be able to go somewhere with it because they don't quite have so much drag on the cars.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's interesting because I remember um, in the early, you know, a couple of years ago at the end of the Gen 6 era and that Speedway package we had there and they had giant spoilers on the back of those cars and there was a lot of drag on those cars, but they were able to get, massive, massive runs because the draft behind that giant spoiler was so, so strong. It would, you'd suck up real, real quick and you'd be able to pull out of line. And even though you had basically a parachute on the back of your car, you were still able to really go somewhere with those runs. And, you know, the closing rates were huge. I remember it it caused a lot of big wrecks because drivers trying to block these huge, huge runs that were being generated from that giant spoiler. Um, so I don't know that the issue is necessarily drag. I think the issue might have something to do with the way the diffuser kind of, um, you know, r- forces that are, makes the air kind of reattach at the back of the car. I think there's maybe not as much of a like a vacuum effect at the back of the car because I don't think the pressure is as low um, as it was before you had the diffuser. Um, I could be wrong here. This is kind of just my rough understanding of how the diffusers work. Um, but yeah, so I think it's kind of making the air from underneath the car and above the car reattach a little bit sooner behind the the back of whatever car is moving through the air, and so that means the car behind isn't sucking up as much because there's not as much of a low pressure area behind the car, right? And so if, if you don't have as much low pressure, that car doesn't get as big of a A draft, basically, and so you don't get as big a run. um So if I had, if I had to guess, I would guess that that's what it is. I don't have like a any sort of CFD data in front of me to really see how the air comes or reattaches at the back of the car. So I I can't say that that's the case for sure, but that would be my guess.
0: No, that makes perfect sense to me, and that was the next thing I was going to suggest because. I remember when they first introduced the, what the next-gen car was going to look like. They were testing it at Homestead, Miami. That is something that I wrote down in my notes from that test way back then, is I wonder how the diffuser is going to affect the plate racing. And I wasn't going to make a suggestion about it immediately because I feel like the easier solution would be to just chop some spoiler off and have a little bit less drag. But I had kind of forgotten that... Uh, the Gen six car didn't care how much drag it had on it. it just got a massive run and went. So you could be right of that they just need it's confusing, though, because the drivers are going to complain either way, I think, is the situation mm-hmm. here. So we just have to pick our poison. Because right now we have guys like Denny Hamlin and Brad Kozlowski complaining and Noah Gregson, I know, was complaining about this as well that you can't go out on your own and make a move. You can't hop up in the third lane and do something on your own you can hop in the middle if your name is eric jones if you haven't seen that video mm-hmm. you don't want that but uh you you can't do anything by yourself and what i was thinking the solution to that would be would to be just to have less drag on the car so you can carry that run further but your other solution to that is to make the run larger which uh, and allow them to get a bigger draft which The easy solution to that would be to put more drag on the car. The other solution to that would be to change how the rear diffuser operates, which might be the better of those two options because it's not going to slow down the size of the run. Well, if we remember back to the end of the Gen 6 era, drivers complained all the time about how massive the runs were. So if I have to pick between, uh, drivers complaining about the size of the runs or drivers complaining that they can't do any, that they can't make moves, uh, I'll take option A all day because massive runs are very fun. They're so exciting. And I think it's part of what makes plate racing awesome. So
1: yeah, remove the diffuser. Yeah. Let's just do it. And that's the other thing is that I think you can find like a reasonable in between, like a middle ground between what we had back then and what we had now. Right. Cause obviously, you know, there's, you, you, I'm personally, I wouldn't want to see a return specifically to what it was like in, you know, with that Gen 6 car when you just had huge runs and you had to try to block it. And if you do try to block it, there's a huge wreck. I wasn't really the biggest fan of that. I think there is a middle ground there, though, that gives the drivers a little bit more say in the result of the race, right? Um, because I I, think I, if, I think there's a middle ground where, like, you can still get a run, right. And you can still do something with the run because it's still strong enough to propel you through the air once you pull out of line. Um, But I think you can try to get it so that it's not so strong that like any attempt at a block is just nonsense because that run is so massive that, you know, you would just cause a huge wreck. Right. So I, it would be, and don't get me wrong. This is, this would be very, very, very difficult to try to find this like happy medium that I'm referring to right now. I don't even know really that there's a way that you could like science it out to really get that perfect medium, right? So I I don't want to make it sound like I'm saying, oh, this is something they could easily do. It's not. It would be very hard. It would take trial and error. But I do agree that I think they need to adjust. They absolutely need to adjust something because the way it is now where you just can't go anywhere once you're you know, a few rows back in the pack, that's going to make the this t- style of racing really hard to enjoy for anyone, you know, because it it's just ends up a single file and maybe double file, uh, you know, two trains going around the track and no one can really go anywhere, right? So we don't want that. So yeah, I agree. Definitely I think- need to change something.
0: I think you're spot on on all of that. Uh, I think that we, I think that when we look at this current package, we can respect that it might not be great at the moment, but I think it has an incredible amount of potential. Like Mm -hmm. I think with a couple changes and it sure, it's not going to be easy to figure out the size those changes should be. I think it could be really, really great. And like 2019, 20, early 2020, that was probably a little bit too crazy uh 2021 though end of 2021 we were starting to get pretty close to Mm -hmm. something really really i mean about as good as you could possibly get it like those were really fun races we had on the plate tracks in 2021 and i don't think you can ask for a whole lot more Mm -hmm. um i i think we were almost perfect at the end of the net of at the end of the gen six era and i hope that Uh, in the off season NASCAR, or maybe even during the season, but probably the off season, we'll look at making some changes, um, to potentially increase the size of those runs and allow drivers to be able to make some moves on their own a little bit easier. Ben, I'm going to kind of go off script here for a minute. Um, because I've just been reminded of a personal opinion that I have. Um, but I want to know your opinion before I go off on my tangent. Mm -hmm. What's your opinion on tandem racing?
1: That's interesting. So I'll I'll say this. I didn't hate it, I think the way that a lot of other people did. You know what I mean? Cuz every time I see on social media and someone brings up something about tandem racing and everybody, you know, they, I know at the time they hated it, although I wasn't really I wasn't watching as, as much NASCAR when tandem racing was a big thing, but I was not I didn't hate it to be totally honest. Um, I do I'll say I prefer, like, the, the pack racing if we're going to do super speedway racing. I prefer when you get the pack racing right. Um, but, yeah, the idea of tandem racing, like, I, I don't hate that.
0: I'm not sure if I actually want it or not, but I, I, wasn't, I wasn't a huge NASCAR fan back when that was uh, very prevalent, but I've gone back and watched the bulk of those races, um, because I thought it was interesting and I've come to respect and enjoy them a lot. And I think something that makes that prospect interesting is that I feel like in the tandem racing, it might be a bit more, the the drivers might have a little bit more control over their own destiny. And now that we have six, i mean super speedway races on the calendar i wonder if it's possible for us to achieve three distinctly different types of super speedway racing to where for some reason i imagine atlanta as being this very difficult um almost early 2000s-esque tile style plate race where the cars are extremely hard to drive and you get separate packs and it turns into a strategy race and you wind up with this 1v1 duel to the finish. And then at Daytona, it's more of your traditional end of the 2021 season style, uh, three wide racing, but they're a little bit more out of control. It's a little bit harder to drive the cars. You still got the big runs um and then at talladega maybe we can it somehow achieve something that resembles tandem racing this is a pie in the sky dream of mine but i think that that would be just the ideal situation for nascar superspeedway racing
1: yeah that would that would be cool because then it wouldn't be so much you'd have to approach each of those tracks pretty differently um i feel like daytona and talladega at least most teams approach those races pretty similarly in the sense that like, you know what type of super speedway race that's going to be. And I feel like there's not a lot of difference in the way you approach those races. And Talladega, I mean, um, Atlanta is a little bit different because handling factors in a little bit more than it would at Daytona or Talladega. But I think you still have a lot of the same general uh, principles that you have at Daytona and Talladega. So I do think it would be pretty interesting to see teams approach each of those three tracks um, in a different way, just because we end up with different styles of racing. That would be interesting for sure.
0: I've always had this just, I don't know, ever since maybe 2018, maybe earlier, this deep down fear that someday Daytona was going to be the championship finale, that Mm. NASCAR would do something crazy like that. And if they ever did, gosh darn it, it better be a tandem race because if they throw a pack race out there for the championship i'm gonna lose
1: my marbles (laughs) yeah i mean they already did it for the the regular season finale hey now
0: that was a great idea i support that
1: vision a hundred percent and i'm I'm, seeing chaos over here (laughs) i was gonna say i don't necessarily i don't hate that as much right because at the end of the day you're talking about like that person. If you know, you get a surprise winner. You're talking about that person that's going to squeeze into that last spot in the playoffs. I don't like that. Doesn't bother me much. I'm not worried about that. Chances are, you know, the 10th through 16th positions in the playoff grid generally they're not they're not really competing for the championship. Like if we're being totally honest, you're not your championship winner in most cases is not going to come from that 10th to 16th slot who like just squeaked their way in. You know, even last year when it was Blaney getting that last spot is like, I didn't see Blaney as like a real championship contender last year. They just didn't have the speed to go out and win races. We saw it. Um, So yeah, I don't like, I don't hate Daytona as that regular season finale, but championship. No, please. No, I don't need to see that. I already don't like that we have this one race like shootout for the championship. I really don't need it to be a, a drafting style or like super speedway style race.
0: This is something that we're definitely going to revisit this offseason when we run out of things to talk about is mm-hmm. what we want to see on it from a plate package and what we want to see as far as NASCAR's glorious championship format. Um, and we're just going to leave it at that for now. Yeah. Let's briefly touch on Atlanta before we get into our COTA preview. I've got three guys that I think it's really important to talk about, uh, maybe four, and those would be Brad Keselowski, Joey Logano, uh, Denny Hamlin, and of course, above all else, my guy Corey Lejoy, the first ever follower of Auto Racing Analytics. Um, let's just start with Brad and Joey because that was quite amazing. Um, the the you know I take that back. Let's talk about the greatest race of the weekend, the greatest duel of the weekend. Because it wasn't Brad and Joey, it was Brad and Denny. Brad and Denny. Brad and Denny. Did you not see this race, Ben?
1: Are you talking about to the porta potty? That's precisely
0: what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I don't like myself for that joke.
1: Oh, no, that that took me a second. That, I was like, that
0: hurts. That hurts. The ego is burned. <laughs> no, we're going to talk about Brad and Joey. Gosh darn it, Ben. Um, how that was one of the longest Super Speedway duels we've had in a long, long time, and it was amazing. That is what a head-to-head matchup on a plate track is supposed to look like for the win.
1: Yeah, it was. It was really, really. Good. You could really tell that um, you yeah, had two of the best uh, super speedway racers up there. Uh, it was cool seeing them up there because you remember from their days together at Penske, the way they just owned, the, owned these uh, style of races. And yeah, I mean, it was, you know, I think they kind of talked about this a little bit on DBC, so I'm going to steal a little bit from them. Um, when Joey got that big run on Brad's outside and it looked like he kind of went up to block it and then almost pulled down, it was. I remember watching that live and I was kind of like, man, why'd you pull down? Like It looked like he had it covered in the top lane. And I don't know if he maybe, I think he probably thought that Joey was going to turn down under him. Um, he was probably trying to anticipate it because it was such a big run um, that he wasn't going to have time to try to react as it was happening. So I, I'm sure because anything else doesn't really make sense, right? Like You would never just move over and let the guy have the outside. You know, so I think similar to what they said on DBC, I'm sure he thought Joey was going to try to go low there. and He was just trying to be proactive instead of reactive and try to beat him to that spot. But obviously, you know, Joey stayed up top. Um, I think what really kind of set this whole battle in motion was when Christopher Bell with, I think it was two to go in like entering three and four maybe, where he dipped from the high side and went low without any of the other Toyotas he just kind of went for it um that was interesting to me um i i i thought he made that move a little early i don't know if there was some miscommunication with the Toyotas or whatever like i don't know if he maybe thought um denny was clear and he wasn't or i don't know what happened there and why it was just Christopher Bell that went and none of the other Toyotas did um, but I thought that was interesting and that's kind of, I think what sparked this whole battle between Logano and Kozlowski. I think we've seen some interesting move. I, I
0: don't, I, I'm, I don't have anything to reference on this, but I, for some reason am remembering that in recent plate races, we've seen a lot of just confusing moves from the Toyota camp where it just seems like one guy goes and nobody else knows that they were supposed to go with them. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not too terribly surprised by that but i'm so thankful that he did it because gosh darn it we need to see more guys moving before two to go in Mm -hmm. play it needs to happen a lot more often um one of the things i found fascinating about the keslowski logano situation is if i'm brad Keslowski in that situation once i have him blocked on the top even if he goes to the low side like let him have it you know. The chances of you getting that blocked are so, so slim. And if I'm going to lose, I'd rather lose and be on the top so that I have a chance of getting it back than lose on the bottom because it, it, then it's pretty much over. Mm-hmm. That's what confused me the most. Um, I, I also enjoyed how it seemed like like when they were battling for the lead, like it's almost like you had to throw a slide job on a super speedway track. Because you would get these big runs into the corner and then like, they couldn't quite stick them all the way. I don't know if that was just me, but that's how it looked in my head. Like when somebody would get a big run on the bottom, it, it didn't look like they could just hold that the whole time.
1: Am yeah, I wrong? It, no, it definitely seemed like people were really struggling to kind of hold the bottom uh for this race. And I mean, I think a few other drivers kind of talked about it. Um, with the track wearing out and, you know, handling becoming a real factor, it wasn't as easy. It really wasn't easy at all to just kind of run the bottom full throttle and just kind of, you know, hook it around there the whole time without sliding or slipping any of the tires. Um, So I think guys in general were just kind of having trouble running the bottom as easily. And so I think that's probably what led to this was just, once you kind of made that pass on the bottom, you wanted to get back up to the top because generally that seemed like the lane that was having an easier time kind of getting going. Seems like it was kind of easier to run up top, you didn't have to put as much wheel into it, so you didn't really have to worry about sliding the tires as much. You could kind of roll the momentum a little bit easier. That's what it it looked like to me.
0: While we're on the topic of difficult to maintain on the bottom, uh Kevin Harvick and Ross Chastain. I have a very strong opinion on that. Uh, I don't think Ross hit him. I think that no. is one hundred percent. Harvick just ran out of talent and lost it. Like, do I think uh, Harvick's going to race Ross hard for that? One hundred percent. Ross is going to eat it, even if Kevin said in his interview that it's fine. He's
1: he's still going to get it.
0: That being said, I don't think that was Ross's fault
1: for once. <laughs> No, no, it really wasn't. I, I was the same way that I think everybody else was. I think the minute people saw it, they were like, oh, my God, Ross Chastain, running people over, like, typical racing with no respect, like, this and that. I was very mad because that was the wreck that took out William Byron. I was pretty upset about that. I'm not even going to lie. Um, so I was, like, too, because I had him pegged to win the race, and then now I look like a fool as he's <laughs> piled
0: up in the fence.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, so I was kind of like, man, what is Ross doing? Like, it's Atlanta, like... They've been talking about how the cars were pretty unstable, especially on the bottom. You know, you weren't able to really push and shove as aggressively in the corners. Like, um, I think it was maybe Busher talked about like, oh, I hadn't really, I hadn't pushed anyone in the corner like all day. I don't know what they were doing. I'm just sitting here like, I cannot believe he's just this, like, you know, blind. He's mm-hmm. just driving in there, slamming in the back of the four car in the middle of the corner. And then, yeah, they, they kind of showed those replays again. They really zoomed in. You could see, like, yeah, no. Um, he just kind of took the air off his spoiler and kind of sent the four car around. It wasn't until he got loose, um, was already sideways, that Chastain actually made contact. So, yeah, we the booth gave him an apology. I also owe Ross Chastain an apology. I'm sure he was really concerned about my opinion. Um, <laughs> so... I mean, yeah, he's no, was... plenty
0: concerned enough about all the opinions of the drivers on the track. So I'm sure he values yours even more, Ben. Of course, of course. Uh, that being said, my picks uh, piled up in the wall. Our men, our, our man Ben Amato had another great pick this week. Uh, because if I remember right, you had Brad Keslowski.
1: Yep, that's correct.
0: So close again. There we go. I know. Look at that! Here at Posit or here at Positions Net, we do know wheel every once in a while just a little bit. That's three good picks in a row by us. Round of applause to uh, Positions Net. Before we're done with Atlanta, we need to talk about my guy Corey Lejoy finishing fourth. Uh, Corey's 14th in the point standings right now. I don't think he's actually going to point his way into the playoffs because the Hendrick cars are out of the equation right now. Uh, so really he's like 18th. If you were to boot all four of them in front of him and there's not enough restrictor plate races on the schedule. That being said, fire motorsports. What is happening right now?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, they're, I'm going to say it this time. They've been stacking pennies. They've been doing it for a long time. Yes, sure. They have, I think it, it's finally starting to pay some real dividends. I mean, I know, um, Dale, jr. On his podcast, that kind of talked about how they're investing more money into that seven car than they really have in any other year. And it's definitely showing, you know, they, it's, I think they're getting a little bit more info from GM, definitely still not like what the, the top teams are getting, but it seems like they're getting a little bit more help there. And it's showing on the track because, you know, we remember Fontana, they had legit speed. Uh, they were pretty decent at Vegas. And I think we're, I think it was Vegas. They hung around the top 20 finished there. Um, they weren't, maybe weren't as great at Phoenix, but yeah, I mean, they definitely look like a much better team, a completely different team for sure than what they looked like last year. I mean, last year, it seemed like really outside of Atlanta. Um, they were just kind of hanging around in like the mid twenties pretty much every week. Um, so yeah, it, it's definitely cool to kind of see them building that program and gradually getting more and more competitive um, you know, who knows, maybe in the next couple of years, they become a team that's on the fringes of making the playoffs just on points. I mean, they're already pretty close right now, but like you said, I don't know that they'll really be able to maintain that once the Hendrick cars kind of start building up their points again. And, um, you know, once you kind of get into the long stretches of the season, um, you know, Corey, actually, he talked about this on his podcast where they tend to struggle, is you know going through like the middle of the season uh with being able to kind of like prep in advance for each race like i know this you know from working at hendrick over the summer and you know he was talking about it a lot of these teams they're prepping for races like multiple weeks in advance and with a small team like spire they're not really able to do that they're just kind of turning it around from one week to the next you know kind of taking it one week at a time basically Um, and so he was saying once they kind of get into the middle of the season, that just kind of starts to become a real tough grind for them to keep up with everyone else while these teams are kind of spending two weeks, basically focusing on a given race. Um, so we'll see if they're able, what kind of performance uh, they're able to, you know, kind of consistently put out over the season, but definitely a lot of good progress for that seven car. And, uh, hopefully they can kind of keep it going and, you know, keep building on that program, keep stacking pennies.
0: You know, I don't know if anybody caught this at the very beginning of your Corey LaJoy rant there. Well done, Ben. Somebody other than me doing the Corey LaJoy rant (laughs) We love to see it. But you started it off with Spire Motorsports' hard work is really starting to pay some dividends. That was clever. Well done. Mm. That was a good one. But here's the deal. Corey LaJoy, I think he's looking at a top 25 in points this year. And that man has run really, really well on all of these last plate tracks. I think we could potentially see Corey LaJoy find a restrictor plate win this year. Um, And I wouldn't be the slightest bit surprised. A fourth at Atlanta that was well-deserved. That car looks like it has enough now at all the other tracks uh, to run decently. And obviously it's now got enough on the plate tracks. I don't know yet if he's got a car that can lead lines. I remember watching at Daytona. It just didn't seem like that seven car could quite lead very well. Mm -hmm. Um, But he's definitely got a car that can maneuver around and hang up there in the pack. And I think he's starting to gain the respect of the pack now to where people will make moves with him, um, even if he can't necessarily lead those moves very often. Um, And honestly, that's all he needs to be able to get himself in position to to find a win late. So for the sake of uh, entertainment and being Team Chaos, I'd love to see myself a Corey LaJoy victory before this season's over, but we're just going to have to wait for Talladega to even consider that again. Looking ahead now at Coda, uh, a year ago, this race was won by Mr. Ross Chastain, and nobody really knew what was going to come of it. This could have been the end of the road for Ross Chastain. Maybe it's a one and done. We don't really know. And uh, then Trackhouse just proceeded to surprise the entire series the whole rest of the year. Suarez had a very fast car in this race, though. The Trackhouse boys were first and third for median lap rank in this race one year ago, with Chastain the fastest, then Bowman and Suarez third, three three percent off per lap.
1: Ben, who you got your eye on this weekend? So, I won't go with the... The super obvious choice of Ross Chastain. Um, I'm looking at first off Daniel Suarez um, because not only did he have speed at Coda last year, you mentioned third in median lap rank, he was also second in median lap rank at Sonoma, um, he was eighth in median lap rank at Road America, and he was fifth in median lap rank at the Indy Road Course. So it's pretty clear that Daniel Suarez is a legit threat on road courses right this wasn't just a one-off uh situation where he just had speed at this one track you know especially being early in the season it's not a one-off he has he's had speed at just about every road course they went to last year so Daniel Suarez is someone you absolutely have to keep your eye on if he's going to win his way into the playoffs a road course is going to be his best chance and this is his first opportunity of the year so you know he's going to be pushing hard I'm sure that team will be aggressive with their pit strategy. There's no stage cautions uh, for the road courses this year. So I'm sure that will add a very interesting um, pit strategy aspect that we haven't really been accustomed to seeing in a few years. So look for that 99 team to be real aggressive on strategy, to get some good track position, uh, and look for them to have some, some raw speed as well. Um, and then again, the other guy I want to talk about is Tyler Reddick. Um, You know, we remember him getting that win at Road America, and he was second in median lap rank just behind Chase Elliott. He was first in median lap rank at the Indy Road Course um, and first at the Roval as well. And so I know that, you know, some people are probably thinking, you know, that's in the eight car. That speed could have been maybe specific to the eight car um, and to Richard Childress, not necessarily to Tyler Reddick. And I understand those concerns. But for me, when it comes to road course racing, Uh, and it comes to raw speed it's not like how it is on an oval right when it when it comes to raw speed on an oval that's more to do with the car especially at this level in the cup series everybody's really really good on ovals right so the difference in speed a lot of times is going to be based on the setup when it comes to road courses though you know obviously way way more corners on a road course than on any oval right we all know that Um, so that's a lot more opportunities for the driver to kind of have their input on the speed of the car. And there's no race car, there's no race engineer, no crew chief, nobody who's good enough at designing or setting up race cars that can make a car drive perfectly through every corner on every road course. It's impossible, right? The corners are all way too different. You can't get a car to handle perfectly through every corner. That's why the driver at some point has to use their ability to make up the difference in a corner where their car is lacking, right? And clearly, Tyler Reddick's able to do that. I mean, like I just said, he was first in median lap rank at two of the road courses last year, and he was second in median lap rank at one of the other ones, was able to get a win on a road course. So you know he ha- he has the speed, right? To me, that gives me confidence that he is able to get some speed out of those out of those cars, right? The only question mark to me is, What's Toyota's road course program look like? They didn't seem very strong in the road courses last year, so that would be my only concern for Tyler Reddick. But So those are the two guys I'm really looking at this weekend, Suarez and Reddick.
0: I think Suarez is an obvious choice, as is Ross Chastain, but we're not really going to talk about Ross Chastain. We talk about Ross Chastain pretty much every week on this show um, because he's an absolute statistical darling. Um, As for Tyler Reddick, you mentioned the first hole in Reddick winning this weekend in that he's driving a Toyota and we don't really know what they're going to have for pace code this weekend. Um, very simple question. I don't want an explanation. I just want one answer. Mm -hmm. Who would you rather have? Would you rather have Tyler Reddick or would you rather have Kyle Busch? Kyle Busch. That's a good answer. Now you got Kyle Busch in Tyler Reddick's old car that Tyler Reddick made go the fastest at the Roval, the Indy road course, the second fastest at road America. And, uh, I don't know about you, but it sounds like you put, put Kyle Busch in that car. You keep Randall Burnett on top of the box. Uh, Chevy has only gotten better since then. They absolutely dominate the road courses. I think Kyle Busch should be the favorite for this weekend.
1: Yeah, I like that. I mean, like you said, he's in that car that we know has speed on road courses. We know what Kyle Busch can do behind the wheel. There's no reason to think that if Tyler Reddick's able to get some good speed out of the the eight car on road courses last year, no reason to think that Kyle Busch couldn't do the same thing this year. So I'm right there with you on that Kyle Busch pick. Now, at the end of the season
0: last year, we also noticed the Hendrick cars had no shortage of speed on the road courses, which is unsurprising. Uh, Elliot and Larson were 1st and 3rd fastest at Road America. Byron 2nd fastest at the Indy Road Course. Larson and Elliot 1 and 2 at Watkins Glen. And Elliot 3rd at the Roval. With Elliot out, I've got my eye on Kyle Larson this weekend. Uh, He really should have won this race two years ago. um, But it went to his teammate Chase Elliott instead. Uh, I've got Larson pegged as another one of the favorites. Him bush and chastain a guy i want to talk about though is jordan taylor i think jordan taylor has an outside shot at the win this weekend and i think some people are underestimating him because i don't think that the sports cars are that undifferent than the uh, nascar cup cars as i understand it jordan taylor has been helping uh hendrick motorsports road course program for quite a while um with that garage or what would that be? What what is that called?
1: A garage uh, Track 56. attack. No, 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 oh, no. no track no, attack. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm
0: talking about track attack and I'm yeah. not going to answer any questions about that because I don't know how much you know about it. But track attack is an interesting uh interesting ordeal
1: over there at Hendrick Motorsports. I know I know a good bit about it.
0: Oh, do you? Would you like to share with us? Tell us about track attack.
1: Well, so yeah, basically track attack um from what I remember was a Hendrick Motorsports little like Um, we call it like a, almost like a rental program, right. Where they basically just had replica gen six cars back when we were racing the gen six, um, basically running, um, you know, road courses and they were almost like just free test sessions in a way, because you have a very similar car running on, um, you know, not, I don't know if it was necessarily the same tracks, but they were running a lot on, um, you know, on, on road courses and stuff. And the idea was that they were, you know, people can buy them and use them as track day cars. Um, and I know a lot of people really made a lot of noise about that because you have these, uh, these almost identical, there were some differences between the track attack cars and the actual Gen 6 cars. There were some differences there. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head exactly what they were, but it was almost identical, right? And so you, you have them testing these cars, um, I wasn't aware that Jordan Taylor was helping them with that program, but that's pretty interesting. So you have Jordan Taylor helping you with this, uh, basically rental car program where you're trying to sell these as track day cars and you're doing all this testing. It's easy to understand why people were a little bit sketched out about that, especially when Hendrick was kicking everyone's butt on the road courses, uh, in that gen six era. That they have
0: been. and. uh Jordan Taylor's also been helping with the Garage 56 ordeal, I think, as I know it. Um, I think that guy's going to be pretty quick, and I think he's somebody to watch out for for the win. I wouldn't put him on the same level that I would Bush, Larson, and uh, Chastain, but I think he could be in it, this thing, if they get the strategy right, you know, they get lucky on a pit sequence or something. I, I think he could find a way to victory lane. Um, the fourth guy, the the other guy I want to talk about is AJ Allmendinger. Obviously AJ Allmendinger has absolutely tore up the road courses in the Xfinity series, but that's a little bit different than the cup series. Um, he's won a cup series road course race for colleague already at the Indy road course. Super impressive back in the gen six era. Um, when I think the car meant a lot more than it does now. So he might've had to overcome a bigger deficit there. If we look at the 16 speed from a year ago on road courses, it's pretty darn scary. I think that we all expected AJ to win a road course race this year, and here's his first crack. A year ago, they had the sixth fastest car at Coda. Uh, They had the eighth fastest car at the Indy road course. And then we look at the last two road courses of the season. AJ Almendinger pulled it together. The fifth fastest car at Watkins Glen, the second fastest car at the Roval. I would not be surprised at all if AJ won this weekend at Coda. Heck, he was what, three, four corners away a year ago from winning this race? I think he could do it again. I am super excited to hopefully see a head to head showdown between Kyle Bush and A.J. Olmendinger. I think that could be an insane race. Um, If we got Ross in there as well, that would be pretty darn exciting. But I I think that could be a really exciting head-to-head matchup.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, A.J. in a a similar position to Daniel Suarez, but probably to an even greater extent, where the road course is really going to be his best shot of winning a race and getting into the playoffs. I think Suarez is more likely to be able to point his way in just with how how fast track house still is uh, and you know where we've seen colleagues speed at so far on uh, some of the traditional ovals so for for AJ, this is really kind of uh, their shot to win a race and get their way into the playoffs so similar way with Suarez expect them to be aggressive on strategy I expect them to be looking for track position um, yeah I AJ's definitely going to be a big threat to, to win this race. Like you said last year, he was right there, a few corners away from winning it before he got shipped by Suarez. I mean, by Chastain. So definitely look out for AJ Allmendinger this weekend. Hey, now,
0: if I remember right, uh, Ross didn't ship AJ there. AJ just happened to be in the way.
1: If ah. it, it was, is, is,
0: that, is that how that happened? I can't <laughs> quite remember.
1: It's all about your point of view. You know, one person <laughs> may view that as Ross sending him. Another person may view that as AJ just being in the wrong place at the right time. You know, Ross's front bumper was already where AJ's rear bumper was. So, I mean, you know, it depends on your perspective.
0: You know, if I, if I look at that corner, I'm pretty sure that's where the car goes. I mean, yeah. just,
1: just throwing that one out
0: there. Yeah. Oh man. I have ticked off everybody today. Let's just finish the job. <laughs> um, who else can we talk about? There's two Fords on this list that I want to talk about, um, and neither of them are Team Penske cars. So, how about Busher and McDowell? Uh, let's start with Chris Busher because RFK is on the up, and I would not be shocked to see Chris Busher win a road course race this year. That that 17 car was the fastest per median lap at Sonoma a year ago. Uh, Suarez was second fastest with McDowell third. That's worth noting. Uh, he had the fifth fastest car at Road America the seventh fastest car at Indy, the sixth fastest car at Watkins Glen. And we don't talk about the Roval. So that's four, yeah, four road course races that he had a very solid car in. Uh, We talk about my William Byron pick a few weeks back at Las Vegas. I did that solely because of two sixth place median lap ranks at Vegas Fall and Kansas Fall Uh, following that logic, I should pick the eight or the 17. I don't know if I have that much faith in Roush Fenway Kozlowski racing, but I think it's definitely worth noting that that 17 car should have some pace.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you kind of hit the nail on the head there talking about consistent road course speed. You know, that's, that's the big thing to look at. I touched on it a bit with, um, Suarez, I believe, Um, you know, being fast at all those different types of road courses, that kind of tells me that, you know, his, as good as they were at Sonoma, almost winning that race, that kind of tells me that wasn't a fluke, right? That tells me he has legit speed at road courses and with RFK looking better this year, I expect that to only get better. Yeah,
0: I, that's, that's where I'm at on him. Uh, one more guy, Michael McDowell, third fastest car at Sonoma seventh fastest car at road America ninth at the Indy road course third at Watkins Glen and uh the seventh fastest car at the Roval those are very consistent numbers I don't see front row being able to continue that unfortunately I think he'll be up there I think he's on for a top 10 I don't see the win coming from Michael McDowell
1: this weekend though um unless you have an
0: opinion otherwise
1: no I'd agree with that um You know, he's shown good speed on road courses in the past. Obviously, last year uh, and in years past as well, he's been pretty competitive on the road courses. But yeah, uh, losing Blake Harris, um, I don't know if they're going to be able to replicate that kind of speed. Um, It's it's hard to say for me. I think they'll still be good. You know, I think his best results and his best showings, I think, will still definitely be on the road courses. Um, But yeah, I'm with you. I don't know that I see them being able to contend for the win.
0: Hmm. So you're concerned about Blake Harris being gone from McDowell's team, but Reddit can win with a new crew chief.
1: Yep. Yep. Because um, I think he got better resources overall at twenty three eleven uh, for him mm-hmm. to kind of tap into. And even then, it it is dependent on what you know Toyota is able to bring to the table. I was a little hesitant. Just I just don't of,
0: trust Toyota. I, yeah. I don't trust them.
1: They're that's, scaring that's, me, especially on the road courses. Yeah, that's exactly what's what's made made me a little bit hesitant. But I think that he still has, like I said, you have better resources at twenty three eleven than you do at front row. Um, you know, still got really solid crew chiefs over there. No disrespect to you know whoever McDowell's crew chief is now. I'm not even sure I know who that is. Um, uh,
0: here's one thing you and I are definitely going to agree on that we need to touch on right now. Mm -hmm. Two weeks ago, we preached restarts, restarts, restarts at Phoenix, and that that was going to be so important. On at Coda, throw all that out the window. Um, I would be surprised if we see any more than four restarts all day. And on a road course, uh, especially of this size, it's not really the most important thing. You need the fastest car in the field. That when you're thinking about picking who's going to win this race. You're picking who's the fastest car and nothing more than that.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I would definitely agree with that for you know, a lot of reasons. One, like you said, restarts, we're not going to see a lot of those. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if we don't see a single restart the whole race. I think we'll see the initial start, and I wouldn't be surprised if it goes green the whole way because there's no reason to throw a caution for just like a, a single car spin uh, when you have so much space on road courses.
0: Bad. Um, so I w- and how could, it, this is NASCAR
1: we're talking about. If there's no, a car I mean,
0: backwards in the track with 10 to go, that yellow's coming out.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you could be right <laughs> about that. I won't lie. Um, but I, I think NASCAR has been better. I think last year, there were a couple times I noticed where there were some single car, like, you know, mo- two car spins like far back. And I think they were pretty good about not throwing the cautions out unless someone just got stuck which shouldn't no, no, happen. No, in all
0: seriousness, I, I do agree with you. They have gotten a lot, lot better
1: this yeah. past season. I
0: mean, especially on the road courses, because they have come to the understanding that a road course caution can be completely different than an oval caution, and there's nothing wrong with that inconsistency at all. So, yeah. I, I mean, we'll we'll just see. I would still be surprised if we can't find ourselves a late race restart, just because this is NASCAR.
1: So, <laughs> That's fair.
0: But... Um, do you have anybody else that you want to touch on as we look to Coda? Um, maybe as far as somebody that would struggle an underdog or a favorite that we haven't quite looked at yet.
1: I would say just because of how fast he was at the, at Coda last year, I feel like I should touch a little bit on Alex Bowman, at least to explain why we didn't really mention him. Really all it comes down to for me is the fact that you don't really, really see him in terms of median lap rank, really top the charts or really come close to that. At any of the other road courses, um, you know, I think the next best you see him at is at Sonoma with the 11th best median lap rank. Uh, everywhere else, he's worse than that. So for anyone who's listening, wondering, man, how do you ignore Alex Bowman after he ran second there last year? That's how, to, to be frank. That right there is the reason why. Um, you know, maybe he can show some speed again this weekend. Maybe he takes well Dakota particularly. Um, obviously he's running the truck rates again, so maybe that'll help him. Maybe he could be like a, a dark horse this weekend, but to me, Coda might've been more of like a, a one-off for his road course speed than anything else. So that's why I wasn't really looking at Alex Bowman. I figured I should just touch on that before somebody comes at me saying, what about Alex Bowman?
0: Yeah, no, I think that that is, uh, that's pretty much fair on the 48 car. I got three guys that I want to touch on, all driving Stuart Haas Fords. Well, kind of. Um, First of all, Chase Briscoe. Great road course racer. I have no idea what kind of speed that car is going to have it. I I really hope that he's got something, but SHR has not shown me anything to believe that that's going to be a winning car for the 14. Mm -hmm. Um, He was up there in this Coda race a year ago, despite having the 14th fastest car. You look at his other speeds, they look pretty similar. 12th at Sonoma, 13th at Road America, with the 18th at the Indy Road Course. It's just not really that great across the board. So I'm not expecting a whole lot out of Briscoe. Now, his teammate Kevin Harvick, this confuses me a lot. The fifth fastest car, the Roval pops up. Um, that's odd. I didn't expect that speed out of him. You also see him pop up as the fifth fastest car in Sonoma. So maybe Haas has some potential, whether they will extract all of that. I don't know. And whether they can turn it into a winning car for either of those guys, I don't, I'm not confident enough to look to them yet, but I really hope that they surprise me because I think the potential is definitely there.
1: Yeah, I think I agree with pretty much everything you said there about Stuart Haas. They're, they've been inconsistent, um, so yeah, hard to put any real faith in them having winning speed this weekend.
0: The last guy that I want to touch on before we get into picks for this weekend is Jensen Button, driving the 15 car for Rick Ware Racing. That is a full-blown Stuart Haas effort, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. Um I think that car should be solid. That being said, he, he is doing he's doing the garage fifty six stuff, so he might have some experience to make it worthwhile. Um, a top twenty would not surprise me out of that fifteen car in the slightest. I think he is perfectly capable of putting forth that for that team.
1: Yeah, definitely, I agree with that. Um, All right, let's start
0: with our picks for the the we're gonna we're gonna throw this for a loop. We're gonna pick from the ringers. First, who is going to run the best of it's Jensen Button, uh, Jimmy Johnson, uh, Jordan Taylor, uh, Connor Daly. Is there somebody else? I feel like I'm missing somebody.
1: Kimi Räikkönen in the 91. Kimi
0: Räikkönen. How did I miss Kimi Räikkönen? Ben, who you got and why of those six guys?
1: Ooh, that's tough. I have to go with Jordan Taylor. Uh, just specifically because they're going to have 50 minutes of practice. That's going to be plenty enough to get him accustomed to this car, I think. And, you know, he's great in the sports cars, obviously. So um, my guy's Jordan Taylor.
0: That's who I wanted to go
1: with. That's an outstanding pick.
0: I brought him up to the win, but I will not pick the same guy as you um, because that's boring. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go with Kimi Raikkonen mm-hmm. because he is he's done this before. So he's got a little bit of experience. We're going to Coda, um, which is a more F1-style track, a little bit bigger. Um, and it's a track house car, which is the main reason that I'm going with him, because that 15 car, I just don't see it. The 50, we've seen nothing out of. Yep. Jimmy, uh, I love you, Jimmy. You are the you right. are the GOAT, but I just I don't see it for you, man. No. Uh, I just don't think that that 84 car is going to have the pace he needs in it to be the best of those guys he might he might run second of these guys to jordan taylor um but i don't see him outrunning jordan taylor while i think kimmy raikkonen could pull up with the car um to potentially best jordan taylor so i'm going with raikkonen as much as i want to pick jimmy johnson um because he is the greatest of all time and nobody better argue with me on that one Mm -hmm. Um, that takes us to our win picks I'll let you go first again, Ben. Uh, you're kind of on a roll right now, so keep it going. Who we got this weekend?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I really, really want to pick Kyle Larson. Um, but this is going to be a little contradictory, but I'm going to go with Daniel Suarez. And I say it's contradictory oh. because I know I – I believe I predicted him missing the playoffs, so – I know I'm, I'm I'm contradicting myself a little bit, but Trackhouse has shown to be really fast still this year. That was the only that question mark was the only thing that really kind of had me keeping him out. So now that they've shown that speed, I'm thinking Daniel Suarez is going to pull off a win and make the playoffs.
0: Yeah, I, I, we both snuffed Spor- Suarez on the playoffs in our predictions, and uh, he could definitely get the job done on Sunday, and it wouldn't entirely surprise me. He's going to have a car capable of doing it, I'm sure. Um, And his teammate Chastain will as well. I only briefly looked at Suarez, and it's really, really difficult for me to pick against last year's winner, Ross Chastain. But I've got to go with Kyle Busch. Mm -hmm. I think that that eight car is going to have a lot of speed. Kyle Busch is more than motivated. He's a good road course racer. He's been good for Toyota in the past. Even if it's been a while, I just feel like Toyota's road course program hasn't uh, worked for him in these past few years. I think that he gets into what is quite possibly the best to third best road course car in the field here. And with Chase Elliott out, I see, I, I see Bush being the guy. It's really hard to pick against Kyle Larson in the Hendrick car. It's mm-hmm. hard to pick against the talent that AJ Allmendinger is. And it's hard to pick against a year ago's winner, Chastain, but I'm going with Kyle Busch.
1: Yeah, I like it. I think we both went a little bit outside the box uh, with our picks this week. I think we both kind of sidestepped picking the glaringly obvious choice, which I like. So credit to us for doing that.
0: I think it's difficult, though, because there, I mean, it's not as glaringly obvious as it seems like it should be. You look at the mm-hmm. list of guys and you're like, it should be a Hendrick car. It should be the five. Chastain won this race a year ago. Why not him? But then you start to dig into the nitty gritty of it. And you're like, there's other guys that have had consistent speed too. Like there's no reason it can't be one of them.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. I'm going Bush. Ben has gone for Daniel Suarez. And that brings us to the end of episode seven. Um, If you manage to find this pot, Ah, what am i doing ben you go first where can the people find you
1: yeah so everybody can find me at on twitter and on instagram at ben amato 24a the racing season's getting close first race is going to be april 22nd um so i'll be posting about that so you know give me a follow to keep tabs
0: can't wait man good luck to you out there in the legends cars thank you uh, as for myself, if you managed to find this podcast without following the Twitter, congratulations to you. You are really something special. Uh, subscribe to this podcast and then go follow the Twitter. That's Auto Racing Analytics on Twitter, AR underscore analytics. Uh, over there is where I'll be posting about all the data uh, that we talk about in this podcast. There's also links there to the newly rebuilt AutoRacingAnalytics.com. Uh, That's where you can find the complete sheets of the data. Uh, I'm assuming that after maybe Richmond or so, I will be posting uh, the averages for all the stats in 2023 and then keeping those up to date. Those just haven't gone up yet as uh, we haven't had enough races for the data to be all that representative. Um, But I will continue to post weekly recaps over there of the uh, median lap ranks for the Xfinity truck and Cup Series um, for you guys to look through the percentage off the leader and stuff like that, um, as well as the full data once that gets up there. But the 2022 data is on there for you to look at at now as well. Um, I think that's everything. Ben, final thoughts?
1: Oh, my final thought uh, is a little unrelated, but the Cup Series had a tire test today at North Wilkesboro, and, oh, man, I am excited. I've seen some videos and it's just kind of giving me little goosebumps seeing the cars going around that track. So excited for that.
0: Gosh darn it, Ben, you stole my final thought. I was going to comment on how slow <laughs> the trucks looked and how excited I was that it looked like there was going to be high tire wear on that little short track in North Wilkesboro. But now I got to change my final thought <laughs> and uh, I got to remind everybody that ricky stenhouse jr is an nascar hall of famer and i gotta talk about Corey lajoy looking so good at atlanta this weekend that's my final thought is that i'm really hoping that we get to see that again from that seven team even if it isn't this weekend at coda um so for an underdog this weekend instead of Corey lajoy keep your eye out for michael mcdowell uh, because i just don't think the seven car is going to be the one to watch for an underdog this weekend thank you all so much for listening. This has been episode seven of Positions Net. We'll see y'all later.